0: this is rpg a day month with andy goodman from expedition to the grizzly peaks day 24 humor <laughs> did you see that uh, tv coverage of the uh the pope when he was lying in state the the last pope you know john paul yeah lying in state on that mm. on that catafalque. yeah in those robes. All right. Didn't ask give me the all that. Him lying there. He looked so fucking vulnerable, didn't he? I mean, like, I, c- I couldn't prevent myself, you know, having a wank immediately, because he looked, he looked vulnerable, he looked at, at rest, and uh, somebody had uh, gone to the trouble of plucking all that hair out of his nostrils. I didn't fancy him when he was alive, because he had all this fucking hair up his nostrils. But when they uh, when the cosmetician had had a go at his body and that. Well, I got a um, he had a... I got know, the fucking horn yeah, You're just well, seeing him lying well, there. The makeup was fantastic on that. But it's interesting he gave you the horn. Anything gives me the horn, I find. Anything gives you the horn. Anything it? gives me the horn. I'm very lucky that way. Except my wife Valerie. She doesn't give me the horn at all. No, she's an ugly. I've person, explained she. her time after time, I said, Val... I said, I would fuck what it is, love, but you do not give me the horn. I said, you fucking don't give me the horn. Uh, everything gives me the horn, except my wife Valerie. So, <laughs> why did I play that delightful clip? <laughs> From a very old comedy show um, And why does it give me the horn? <laughs> so for those of you who don't know That was a clip from Derek and Clive get the horn Who you may ask are these two filth mongers Derek and Clive Well One of them Was probably one of the most famous British comedy actors of his time and the other was probably the most influential comedian of, of his era. Um, they were, of course, Peter Cook and Dudley Moore. It was, um, it was Peter Cook at the beginning talking about the Pope. And then it was um, Dudley Moore talking about his wife Valerie, who didn't give him the fucking horn. Um, and they made this record... I think it was 1977-ish. I could be wrong. But it was definitely in the middle of the punk era in London. Might have been 78. Might have been 79. Anyway, it was during the punk era, for sure. Because this was probably about as punk as comedy would ever get. I first listened to that album It was released as an album It was actually They they recorded it on video as well And you can watch it Um, You can get it It's probably been banned I imagine But um, I first heard it Or possibly watched it I can't remember At about the age of 13 (laughs) Right Like a lot of English lads British lads Of my age At that time So this would have been How old was I? I mean, what year was it? It would have been eighty-one, eighty-two. So it had only really been out for a while, and it was pretty notorious. And beyond just the utter scabrousness of the humour and the and the boundary-breaking, not boundary-pushing, boundary-smashing obscenity of it, um, the reason it caused such a shock was that Peter Cook and Dudley Moore were two highly beloved members of, of British mainstream comedy. They'd been in many TV shows. Dudley Moore was already making Hollywood movies when this came out. Um, they were big, <laughs> they were really big. Um, Peter Cook started Beyond the Fringe oh, and Behind the Fridge I think as well and, and then they did the Peter Cook and Dudley Moore TV show which was hilarious it wasn't anything like as it it wasn't obscene at all it was on it was on primetime British TV it was in black and white that's that's how old it was and they were part of the mainstream but they were always they were always true rebels at heart and I think the punk era gave them this sort of license to to go where no comedian had ever gone before and when I say no comedian had ever gone before It's not entirely true It's not entirely true um, American comedians Had gone Somewhere like this before Somewhere um, So Lenny Bruce And Richard Pryor are Two earlier comedians That spring to mind Although they weren't um, They weren't younger Well Lenny Bruce was younger but but they weren't. Uh, but Richard Pryor wasn't younger than C- Cook and Moore. But I, I think that you know they were doing very um, transgressive comedy quite a long, quite a while before. I mean, Lenny Bruce is is the classic in a way. I mean, there is f- interesting um, articles about was he was he actually funny? <laughs> that that I guess is up to your taste. But he certainly was boundary breaking. Um, he. Uh, yeah he ended up dying in prison he was he was so dangerous that the um fbi were basically out to get him and um he was he was slammed up on drug charges and he was a drug addict but but the the way he was treated was was very was vicious um and they more or less killed him the, the state Cause he was, he was saying stuff about religion and about culture and about society that were hard to take in the, in the late fifties and early sixties. Now I always thought this was his routine, but actually I think it, I'll have to check it up. I think it's actually, um, I think it's from something else, but I think there's, I think it's a play. It's a riff actually on, on some things from, from Tom Sawyer, from Huckleberry Finn um and um yeah but th- 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 for some reason this is much very much associated with with Lenny Bruce these two um these two black guys sitting talking to each other the first one says i'm going up to heaven going up to heaven and uh and the other one says um what what you what are you going to do there and he says uh, Gonna find out what a guine is. <laughs> no, I mean, this is in many ways a racist joke because it's satirizing the speech patterns of African-Americans and particularly, I guess, the slave argot. Um, but, but it is also really funny because, and let, let me break it down for you about why it's funny. Which will make it not funny, but it explains the humour. Um, it's based on a supposition that that these people sitting there don't actually, even they don't know what "guine" means. <laughs> you know, it's like a word that they're using, and and of course, in the context of the joke, they use they're using it both in the right way and the wrong way because "guine" is is just a way of saying "going." <laughs> so going up to heaven to find out what a gwine is. I mean, it is funny, but of course, it's also racist. Now... <laughs> getting into dangerous territory here, aren't I? But that Cook and Moore sketch, that Derek and Clive sketch, they had to call themselves Derek and Clive... They had to create these two personas to distance themselves from the wholesomeness of their earlier humor. You know, they they produced very funny stuff that was wholesome, had a little bit of um, sauciness to it. You know, especially the art gallery one where they're looking at the picture of the you know the fat ladies with the boobies. That's um, that's Raphael for anyone who cares about it. Um, it where they make the comparison with um, with the Mona Lisa. You know, they you, you always know you're you can, you're looking at a good painting when the eyes follow you around the room, and then of course they they make the reference to the Raphael with the with the with the boob boobies follow you around the room. Was it the bottoms? I think it was the buttocks. Yeah, they weren't they wouldn't have been that rude. It was just the buttocks, the buttocks following you around the room. It's a, it's a very it's a great sketch, but you know, getting but Derek and Clive, that was well as you heard, that is going beyond you know the realms of taste. <laughs> you know getting a hard on watching the filming of the funeral of the of the dead Pope John Paul that's kind of yeah he then goes on to talk about um, some other stuff that gets even worse and I didn't put that clip in but you know this this comedy this sort of comedy it's not really allowed anymore it's not really allowed anymore and probably for very good reasons, and in, in a way for very good reasons, because there's a lot of horrible comedy that was also lumped in with this. Um, someone like Andrew Dice Clay springs to mind, the shock comedians of the of the 80s and 90s, who were all given license to do this, presumably by things like Derek and Clive appearing. But what they never, I think, understood about Derek and Clive is, is that the the awfulness that they were presenting was, was, was them presenting themselves as being awful, as being these two loathsome characters, immensely stupid and perverted, and that they, they, they were these personas. And, and you were there to find them horrible, but also horribly funny. And I think there's a knowingness... And a deep, deep sense of misanthropy that, that goes beyond racism and sexism. Yeah, they had racist stuff in their, in their shows, shows as well occasionally because it was 1978 and the values have changed since then. But does it write off their whole oeuvre because of some moments of cultural, um, cultural, I suppose transgression. I don't think it does. I don't think it does because they—they they were misanthropes. They presented themselves as misanthropes. They were—they were vile about the whole of humanity. <laughs> in an, in an, in an, in, an, in an order to to poke fun at all of our assumptions and cozy beliefs, which were being shattered in the seventies by things like punk, by things like the art of the time and the movie making of the, of the decade of the seventies and comedy as well. Also went to dark places that revealed that shone a light on us as, as, as a, as a people. So I want to talk a little bit about how my Comedic influences, I guess you could say, how they have inspired my gaming in some ways, or or made it into my games. Because I think, regardless of my political beliefs and and my liberal and left wing tendencies, and my um, hard wired hatred of racism, and my support of the uh, of the underdog um a lot of the, a lot of my humor is informed by by this transgressive stuff and that, and a lot of my i guess my psychological makeup is is influenced by it because i think it is possible to hold two opposing views simultaneously it is not it's not impossible in fact it is very easy if if you're able to compartmentalize and understand why you believe the things that you do and why you enjoy the things that you do. It's why I can read Lovecraft whilst acknowledging that he's an awful racist. This middle path, I've talked about it before, between having strong beliefs but being very open to to influences that might contradict those beliefs. And the truth is, the comedians that I like and the ones that I hate are on different sides of, the, of that. Of that divide, the comedians that I hate have no self-reflection. Are genuinely embody and embrace the, the nasty and despicable values that that, that um, emerge in their jokes. Those that are clearly on the side of of tolerance and openness and understanding, it's very clear how how they they use transgressive themes in their comedy to highlight these things, not to not to just make cheap jokes from them. There is a world of difference between Bernard Manning, who is, well, I think he's dead now, um, between Bernard Manning, who was an out-and-out racist, and a funny comedian, but an out-and-out racist. Um, Jim Davidson, hugely popular. Played, he, had, he, had a, um, he played a black character, like he's, he, a mate of his apparently, called Chalky, Chalky White. You know, he was a, a Northwest, well, Northeast London, I think it was Northeast London, you know, pretty much died in the wool, racist comedian, but he had a prime time TV show. So there was a lot of it going around and there's a world of difference between those comedians and and um, Peter Cook and Dudley Moore, a world of difference. In the same way, there's a world difference between them and, and someone like Lenny Bruce. And they would use racist words. So. Who gets to make these these judgments? No well I don't. I actually don't get to make these judgments. It is not it is not my right, it is not my place. But for myself, I can internalize these influences and, and, and they manifest in my humour. <sighs> I told you this was going to some dangerous places. So there's a truck backing up. Backing up down Grizzly Peak. Goodness me. This is a very windy, narrow road. And he's telling me to be careful. Stop going up. So, in my gaming, I like to push some boundaries at times. I like to present the players with situations that are fairly horrifying, but also to do it with this sly humor as well to undercut, um, I will, I will make, make the horrible ludicrous in some way to, you know, when I was talking about death, love, doom the other day, the reason it was so horrible was that there was no humor in it at all. It was just pure out and out horror. And I think that that is a difficult place to go to in an RPG. My mask campaign. There's horrifying things that happen in it, but I'm constantly undercutting them to to not make them just something that we that we either find repulsive or we revel in. Because I don't think those are good reactions to to, to seeing horror. I I think I think we need to undercut them almost constantly in order to maintain an enjoyable atmosphere at the table I don't actually want my players to walk away feeling dirtied in some way by what they've visualised or experienced or imagined in their heads from my descriptions and their interactions um so there's about a 24 hour gap between that last segment and this I just went hmm or something (laughs) so this will probably not flow um We've been having fires ever since that lightning storm. So there's a fire sort of south near San Jose, and there's another one sort of to the north, Vacaville. And, uh, yeah, it's a bit early for fire season. These are lightning, started by by the lightning storm. So, yeah, there's a smell of smoke everywhere. Not very funny. I'm just going to the mailbox now. Mail theft is a federal crime. Tell that to the president. Anyway, a little bit of politics. A little bit, where, a little bit, a little bit of politics. (laughs) I don't really like political humor anymore. There's nothing funny about politics anymore. We have gone beyond satire. That is the truth. Yeah, so, <laughs> humour and gaming, to get back to that, I, um, I always make my sub-villains ludicrous, silly, stupid, fools, bumbling nitwits, um, always vulnerable and ready to be, to be ribbed and, and rattled and befuddled by the heroes, by the investigators, always, always, that for me is often where a lot of the humour can come. Um, you know, when this conspiracy turns out to be a conspiracy of dunces, rather than a conspiracy of super geniuses, but I never make my big, big bads funny. Never, ever, ever. I think that's, that's the, that for me is how you create this fear and tension around them, is that. Yeah, there's gonna be threats throughout the game, throughout the campaign, for from these sub bosses and these minions and whatever. But the heroes can kind of blow through them, and they can manipulate them and fuck with them. But you ain't fucking with the with old gnarly top, as as my friend TJ called him. Yeah, the Black Pharaoh. He doesn't. He doesn't take too kindly to jokes. <laughs> and um, and I think this is quite... It seems to work quite well for me because it lulls them into this kind of rhythm that, yeah, we can take on the Mythos. We can kick its ass. But um, when they really go up against something big and bad, as they recently discovered, yeah, there's no jokes at that point anymore. I... I think I I like the way that the humour leavens the, the seriousness, as I said a little bit earlier or whenever yesterday. Um, I think that being too po-faced, being too grim, dark, being too goth, being too, being too gothic, being too um, I don't know serious about the horror, it actually is just a bit silly, to be honest. Um, you, sustaining that any at the time, I, I think, just makes it all it's ridiculous. Um, it's just not my style. I mean, maybe other people like it. And I, and I know there are games where perhaps you lean more into that. Something like Cult, Divinity Lost. That seems to be a much darker overall tone. Call of Cthulhu seems to be studded with, with silliness, really, um, at times. Um, you know, there's a lot of tropes in there. There's a lot of tentacles. <laughs> there's a lot of gelatinous, slimy things. There's there's brains in jars. There's there's a lot of and especially playing pulp. Um, I, I I think the heroes have to have to face down the mythos with a big grin on their face as they empty another clip of Tommy gun rounds into into a Shoggoth. Yeah, you can't take that stuff too seriously, can you?